Well, if you have a Bible, you can go and open it to John 13. This morning's scripture reading comes from John 13. We'll be reading through the end of chapter 14 as we come back to the gospel according to John that we have been studying together this year. Uh, In it, as we've been seeing, John the Apostle is retelling the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to answer one question. Who's the Messiah? Who's the one that God has, for centuries of building anticipation, been promising would come and deliver us from our sins and restore us back to life with God? And John's answer, as we've been seeing all through this book, is it's Jesus. He is the incalculable gift of God to our world whose death on a Roman cross, one of countless ones that happened that year, achieved something so significant that it is changing lives 2,000 years later and has changed our world forever. Jesus, God's Messiah, who is offering a hope to people like you and me today that through faith in Jesus, your worst failures will never define you and your future is now incredibly bright. And so to retell this story of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, John divides his book into two halves. Chapters 1 through 12 retell the signs of Jesus and rejection by his own, Israel. And then chapters 13 through the end retell the death of Jesus and preparation of his own, the disciples. And just before we took a break, we began the second half, part two of St. John's Gospel, which begins with Jesus' farewell address, where over the next five chapters, he purges, prays for, and prepares his disciples and us for his coming death. So with your Bibles open, follow as I read, starting in chapter 13, verse 31. When he, that is Judas Iscariot, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. So my dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. 
you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Philip said, Lord, show us the Father then, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. No, rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. For very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for me anything in my name, and I'll do it. So if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The, the, the world can't accept him because it, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will live on the day that you realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. So whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I, too, will love them and show myself to them. So then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the whole world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, then you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father 
and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. You're better off without me. Has anybody ever told you that before? Maybe you've had to say that to somebody before. You know, no, you're, you're better off without me. Maybe you were on a project at work and uh, someone in the, is kind of holding the group back a little bit and they finally realize that and say, you know what, just, just go on everybody. You trust me, you will create something so much better without me here holding everybody down. Or, or maybe some of your friends invited you to the beach to go surfing with them one day. Uh, I know if it was me, for one, you would never convince me to venture that far out into the sea, knowingly putting myself confused and tired into the shark's lair. I mean, come on, that's what they want you to do. But more importantly, I know nothing about surfing. And so I would probably tell you, thank you, that's very polite, but believe me when I tell you this, you will have such a better time without me there. You're better off without me. Now imagine God telling you that. I mean, it's one thing if your high school girlfriend said it. It's an entirely different thing if the one who created you told you that. Well, for the disciples in the passage we just read, they don't have to imagine that. Jesus just told them that. In verse 33, Jesus tells the disciples that in a little while, he's going to leave. He won't be here anymore, and they're not coming with him. And the disciples start to slowly unravel. Uh, their friend, their Lord, their hope was leaving. How could they live without him? They had pushed all their chips into this man, Jesus of Nazareth. What, what will it mean for their lives when he's gone? And in verse 28, Jesus senses their fear and says to them, You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, then you would be glad that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. You don't get it right now, disciples, but it's going to be better when I'm gone. Now, how can that be? How can this world ever be better without God in it? Well, this isn't just a dilemma for the disciples, but one for us too. You see, though we may be separated by 2,000 years and a couple of continents, we find ourselves in the same situation that they'll be in, a Christless world, one where the Son of God once walked and talked and lived among us but doesn't anymore, a world where Jesus came in the flesh and will come again, but for now we live in his absence in between. And it's this absence of Jesus Christ that can develop in us a similar angst and restlessness and fear that the disciples had when they hear in our passage that in less than a day's time, the one who they put their whole hope in would be gone. A Christless world? How do we cope? Well, two things John has for us in this passage to see, the fear of Jesus' absence and the promise of Jesus' presence. So first, the fear of his absence. The setting here is a farewell of 
cosmic significance. In 1331, John writes that one, when he, being Judas Iscariot, was gone, Jesus now said, the Son of Man is glorified, and God is now glorified in him. Jesus and the disciples had barely finished eating the Last Supper when Jesus reveals that Judas, who's sitting there with them, one of the 12 disciples, is going to betray him. He's going to hand him over to be arrested, tried, and crucified. Jesus knows now in this moment that he is, he is a mere 24 hours away from being buried in a tomb. And so he tells the disciples in verse 33, My dear children, I will only be with you a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews earlier, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. I mean, this is terrible news. In 14.1, it says the disciples become troubled, distressed. I mean, think about this. For three years, they gave up everything to follow Jesus around and watch as he turned water into wine, multiplied bread and fish, raised a corpse, and through that came to believe. This man's the Messiah. He's the one who's been sent by the Father to rescue me from my sin, to restore me back to life with God. This is terrible news. It's awful Jesus, their friend, their Lord, their hope is leaving. And the disciples start to grapple with their fear of living in a Christless world. First, Peter gets a little anxious. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, wait, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow but you will follow later. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? No, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll do whatever it has to take to follow you. What Peter says here isn't, isn't coming from anger, but this anxious worriness. And Jesus, if you're leaving, wait, hold on a second. I, I don't want to wait around a second here on this earth without you. Tell me where you're going so I can come with you, please. Thomas then gets a little skeptical. Chapter 14 now, Jesus reassures his disciples by saying in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, no, but Lord, that's the problem. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? You know, Thomas isn't quite sure here if he can really trust Jesus. You know, Jesus, just for once, could you cut with the riddles, okay? Just, just spell it out plainly so we can all understand what is happening here. And then Philip gets demanding. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father then, and that'll be enough for us. He, he's asking for a theophany, for some sort of visible display of God, one like Moses and Isaiah and the Old Testament got. You know, Jesus, if you're going to leave, then, then at least just give me an experience of God that'll last in the meantime. The counselor, Chip Dodd, says, it's not so much darkness that a child fears, it's being in the darkness alone. Well, the disciples, understandably, don't want to be left alone. They're, they're afraid that what Jesus later promises them won't happen will. 
that they'll be left like orphans in a Christless world. And you know, while so much has changed since then, we find ourselves today in the same situation these disciples are bracing for, navigating a world between the first coming of Jesus at Christmas and his second coming at the end. And that physical absence of Jesus from our world produces in us the same orphan-like fear that the disciples have here. We, we can start to get anxious, start playing out the worst-case scenarios in our head. Have you ever done this before? What if I lose my job tomorrow? What if I suddenly go broke? What if my house has to get sold? Or when something goes wrong in our lives, we, we can have this almost chippy, rugged self-sufficiency that, that dives right in, tries to fix things on ourselves. No prayer, no dependency on God, because deep down, we have this lurking suspicion that no one's looking out for me. At least not Jesus. He's not even here right now. No, I got to fend for myself. Or we have this apprehension to follow something that God is clearly calling us into. I remember getting dinner once with a friend uh, just before I, I left seminary. He told me, Eric, you know, when I see God calling you to something, I see you measure the calling, and then I see you measure yourself and decide if you have what it takes in you to move forward. Or maybe some of us here, we're stuck in some sort of deep sin. We have this defeated psyche in us because we think, well, Jesus, I mean, he's way up there. I'm way down here, and I don't really see how he's going to help me out in this. Because it's not so much the dark, but being alone in the dark. It's not so much life that scares us, but Jesus being absent from us that creates this orphan-like fear in us. So the fear of his absence, second, John shows us the promise of his presence. Uh, in verse 15, Jesus responds to the disciples' fear with this promise that changes everything. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. No, I will come to you. Uh, a couple of months ago, my, my favorite soccer team was playing a match here in Orlando, which is a really big deal because they're from England. Uh, I, I am a huge fan. I've been following them for well over a decade. My son is named after one of their players. Never seen them once before live in my life. So this was, this was big for me, okay? And I was reading on a blog somewhere online that I saw there was going to be a player meet and greet at a pub here in downtown Orlando. And so I immediately, the gears start churning, and I'm thinking, okay, which of my jerseys in the jersey collection do I want them to sign? What frame do I want to put it in so I can hang it above our bed and we can look at it before we go to sleep every night? And as I'm reading on, I see, yes, come and meet. Former player, now retired for 25 years, and club ambassador, Graham Stewart. And I thought, are you kidding me, Graham? 
yeah, you're a part of the team, but you're not. Well, thankfully, Jesus Christ isn't promising here to send some old, retired, once mediocre, but you haven't heard of him in a long time, club ambassador to meet with you. No, Jesus promises that he will send here the very Spirit of God, the third member of the divine trinity himself, who in Greek he calls the paraclete, a word which in Jesus' day had two senses to it. A legal meaning, uh, think something like an attorney, someone who speaks up for you, and then a relational meaning. Uh, Someone that strengthens you, encourages you, comes beside you, helps you. But Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to send an advocate. Did you hear what he said? I'm going to send you another advocate. Jesus is saying here, essentially, guys, you, you already have one paraclete, one advocate, me. And in my place, you're going to get another one who, though different than me, will be as if I myself am here with you. What he's referring to is he's promising what will happen after his resurrection and ascension to the place of all authority. He will come back to the disciples at Pentecost and to us now by faith in the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That will make it, Jesus is saying here, as if I never left. In fact, it'll be even better. And there's, there's three ways that Jesus describes what his promised presence through the Holy Spirit will be like. At first, he says it'll be an intimate presence. Look down in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you again. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, meaning I am in you. Jesus is promising that through the Holy Spirit, he will be with us in an even more intimate way than if you were sitting right next to him at the Last Supper and he passed a piece of bread to you. Because he is saying here that on account of of his grace and kindness, By faith, we now get to share in the mutual indwelling of the Trinity through the Holy Spirit, meaning this, this, through the Spirit, we now experience the very love and life that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have for each other in us, making God more intimately present with us today than if we were standing here with Jesus and the disciples in this very story. Second, Jesus promises and obeying presence. He says in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. And my Father will love them and we will come to them and we'll make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, it can sound like Jesus is being a little tit for tat here. He's saying something like, well, if you love me, or if you obey me, okay, then I'll love you. But no, Jesus, he's talking relationally here. What he's saying is this, if by faith, the love and life of the Trinity 
is now in you, then, then just like the Son is loved by the Father and loves the Father and therefore longs to obey Him, so too you will be loved by me and love me and long to obey me. And when you do, as you obey me, I will, I will fuel that even more by giving you a deeper knowledge of me and a greater experience of my grace. And third, he promises ascending presence. In verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, wait a second, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the whole world? Uh, Judas is referring here to a Jewish expectation that was kind of common at that time, that when the Messiah would come, he, he would reveal himself to the entire world in this great apocalyptic moment where he would save God's people and he would judge everybody else. And Jesus replies to him in verse 25, Well, Judas, all this I have spoken to you while I was still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send to you in my name, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I said to you. You see, what Jesus is telling Judas here is, I am going to reveal myself to the world. Not through some great apocalyptic judgment, though that will come, but first for generations and centuries of gracious salvation. That I will be present in the Holy Spirit and the scripture he inspires you to write and through that I'm going to show myself to the entire world. And now to be clear, what Jesus is promising Judas here, unlike the first two aspects of his presence that apply to all believers across all times, what he's promising here refers specifically to the first generation of the disciples, uh, who he is promising that he will send the Holy Spirit, who will inspire them to write the New Testament and show Jesus to the world. But it is by extension to us, the church today, as we have been called to sent to proclaim Jesus' word to our community. And as we do, we can be sure that the continuing presence of Jesus himself is with us and working through us to reach more and more people in our community on his mission of grace for generations. So Jesus responds to our fear of his absence with this incredible promise that, through, that though absent in body, he is by faith present in a new and greater way through the Holy Spirit. In an intimate presence where we share in the love of the Trinity. In an obeying presence where we share in the relationships of the Trinity. And in an ascending presence where we share in the mission of the Trinity. Making him, making him more present than if you were eating dinner with him 2,000 years ago. And it's because of this new and greater presence of Jesus with us now that he can say in verse 27 to the disciples and us, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And in saying that, Jesus is recalling an old story and giving it an even greater meaning. 
Uh, Jesus' farewell address in John 13 through 17 is patterned after Moses' farewell address in Deuteronomy 31 through 33, where after leading God's people in the exodus out of Egypt, Moses, who is now old and dying, stands near the edge of the promised land and tells Israel that he's only going to be with them a little bit longer. But he's giving them another one who will lead them in his place. And because of that, he tells them, do not be afraid, in Deuteronomy 31.6, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And in John 13, as Jesus and his disciples sit around the Last Supper, eating Passover, eating the Exodus meal, Jesus looks at his disciples and just like Moses tells them, I'm only going to be with you a little bit longer. But I'm giving someone who will be with you in my place. So do not be troubled and do not be afraid. What's happening here? Well, Jesus, the true and greater Moses, is getting ready to perform a new and greater exodus where he will deliver us, not from the bondage of Egypt, but the slavery to our sin. Where like Moses, he will give up his rights to royalty, emptying himself of all privilege in order to identify with you in the place of your captivity, experiencing himself the pain of our oppression to sin, overthrowing our tyrant Satan and interceding to save us, not with a prayer like Moses, but with his own life on the cross. For as he told Peter here in our passage, no, Peter, you won't die for me, I must die for you. It's the only way this works. A new and greater exodus where Jesus is now leading his people to the true and greater promised land, the renewed creation. Yet unlike Moses, who was unable to enter the earthly promised land, Jesus tells us here, I am going ahead of you to prepare a place for you, and I myself will come back to you, and I'm going to take you with me to be where I am. And so here's the question for us this morning. If Jesus Christ loves you that much, that he would do all of this in order to secure by grace your salvation, even so much as promising to come back and take you to be with him. Would he really leave you an orphan while you wait? No, just as Moses, facing the end of his life, told God's people on their journey ahead, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you by faith. Jesus is saying the same to you today. You're not alone in the dark. Jesus has died, risen, and ascended to the place of all authority on your behalf and is now present with you and in you through the Holy Spirit. He has not left you like an orphan, but has come to you in a new and greater way in the divine presence of God himself, now by grace through faith, irrevocably present in you, making Jesus more present than if you were standing with him 2,000 years ago. And so whatever you are facing today, people dying under your care from COVID, loss of relationships, 
being a new parent, being a tired parent, not being able to be a parent. Though it will be hard and the end unclear, hear Jesus by faith, who's the only person that on the cross was truly left in the dark for you, tell you, fear not, for I am with you. Thanks be to Christ. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that what to us sounds like bad news, you know is good news. That you were telling your disciples, I'm about to leave because I'm going to die for your sins, rise for your new life, and ascend to the place of all authority in heaven and on earth for you. And because of that, send my Holy Spirit to be with you and in you so that you will never be alone in the dark. Spirit, remind us today of your presence in us. Fill us with an awareness of your work in our lives. For to have you, Holy Spirit, in us is to have Jesus with us and to mean that we are never alone. Amen.